Hello, hello, and welcome to the Theater Queens podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Ellie. And I'm Alyssa. This podcast, we're going to do a quick dive into latest theater news, and then we're going to do a deep dive into our latest theater obsessions, and then an even deeper dive into the twisted psyche that is our minds. True. Love it. And to start with the latest news, Ricky, do you want to take it away? Okay, well, and not so recent news. Recent enough. Broadway is still shut down, uh, so right now, nothing is on, but Oof. everyone is doing, like, a lot of things are being announced now, because things are coming. Company is coming. Woo. They didn't announce when. They, all the articles were saying, company finally announced they're coming to Broadway, but then we actually click the link. It's like, coming soon. Coming when? Soon can be three years from now. Great. I want to buy tickets. Let me know when. Uh, and the Heights moved their date up. Originally, they were supposed to premiere June 18th, but now they push it up to June 11th. So we get to see in the Heights a week earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for that show. My sister waiting with bated breath. I, I, I've watched all of the trailers at least 100 times each. I I have watched them all once. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love that show so much, and I'm so excited for the movie to come out. What else? Oh, it was also just. Uh, do you guys know what day it was yesterday? It was Sunday. It was the birthday of both Stephen Sondheim and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm-hmm. Wait, they have the same birthday? Same birthday. It's a very special day. Am I going to plan my future children to be born on that day? Of course, I will. <laughs> And what else? And a bunch of West End places. They're, they're moving faster. Here's the thing is that they're a little bit more ready than a we are. A little bit, yeah. Um, but they're not quite. I think they just, they've gotten to the point America, which is we don't care about anything. So everyone will die, but West End will be open. Exactly. So it shows, shows that they that have announced, and this is just like, I'm sure there's more than this, but Hairspray 6, Anything Goes with Megan Mullally is coming. Hamlet with Ian McKellen. Pretty Woman is coming back. Lion King is coming back. Of course, Lion King is coming back. I mean, on Broadway, everyone's saying the first ones that are going to come back are going to be Wicked, Phantom, Lion King. Tourist crap. So who who is coming with me to England to see Hamlet with Ian McKellen? Because who's coming with me to Japan to go see Waitress in Japanese? Oh, we. That I, is what I, I want to see. I am. Oh, the prom is also is going to be in Japan. Do you want to see prom in Japanese? I would love to. I not really. No. The funniest part about it the first time was the dialogue, and if it's going to be in Japanese and I don't understand it, what's exactly. The point? Oh my! But like, I saw the clips from Waitress, and when he sees me in Japanese, it's just so adorable and so quirky and kooky, and I love it. I, I feel like yeah, because it's in a different language. But it's like it's like watching an anime, but Broadway. But Broadway and. Not with subtitles? Not with subtitles. But the thing, because I feel like I'm just so familiar with Waitress already that, right. yeah, like, I feel like if I had never seen Waitress before, never heard the music and going into it, like, seeing it in Japanese, it'd be a different, very different experience. But I mean, also, like, when you go see an opera, like, if you don't speak Italian, you still could feel the story. Uh, for the listeners out there, a little bit of backstory on us. Uh, Ricky is part of the Broadway community. At least I pretend like I am. Uh, she at least pretends like she is. <laughs> Um, I play one on TV. <laughs> She's hosted some panels at Broadway Con, so I mean. I have hosted a solid two Broadway Con panels. I have worked at Parsons Mirrors, which is a Broadway costume shop, working on costumes for Hamilton, Lion King, a little bit on Frozen. And I work as an extra in lots of TV and movies. I I personally am just a Broadway enthusiast. As am I. Um, my whole family is. I got, I got in very, you know, very young going to 
you know, kids not on Broadway for until I wasn't allowed to. So you're too old. Until I was too old. And then and then I started taking my siblings. So it's great. I did study media studies. So I know how to analyze things to the point where they're no longer fun. And I'll also throw it in that I have a theater degree too. <laughs> I will pepper in the fact that I am an expert. I mean, more than anything, I'm a Broadway fanatic. But if y'all want to call me a professional, you're more than welcome to. What you call it. And I am also just a Broadway enthusiast with a media degree. The media degree is more of a, hey, look, I studied media. And I have a theater degree, which is like, hey, look, I'm poor. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So shall we get into our deep dive? Should we just get on into it? Yeah. Let's get into our deep dive. This week's deep dive, we are going to be talking about the amazing musical Jagged Little Pill. Again, Broadway's not currently on, but there may or may not be some secret or not so secret bootlegs out there. Slime tutorials. Slime tutorials. Sorry, there's there's many a Jagged Little Pill slime tutorials. Let's just go over the plot a little bit. Jagged Little Pill is a musical based on the work of Alanis Morissette, more specifically her album, Jagged Little Pill. Um, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I've never listened to Jagged Little Pill before this. Hugh <gasps> whore. I knew like three of them. <laughs> I have cried over so many ex-boyfriends to that album. I have, I have not. I knew going into it, two of the songs. I knew of most of those songs going into the show. I knew, I knew Ironic. Don't you think? Everyone knows Ironic. I knew, you want to know. I love, again, I've scrolled to that at a karaoke bar. I know the song Hands in My Pockets, but I did not realize it was Alanis Morissette. Oh, I love that No, I knew so those things and nothing else. What about like Head Over Feet? Nope. I didn't know Head Over Feet. You know what I did know uh, was Uninvited. Anyone invited? I, so I, that, I oh my god, we'll get into it when we talk about it. But ooh, that song. So let's just go over the plot a little bit. Hey, we should also probably clarify that there are going to be spoilers. So if you're listening, you have not seen the show. Much spoiler. Very much spoiler. All the spoilers. Also, there is probably a trigger warning on that. Yes, absolutely. There is a trigger warning. Uh, this show does discuss issues of sexual assault, which is obviously a very sensitive topic. So definitely trigger warning. So... We are following the story of Mary Jane because everyone needs to know from the top that she's a dr- drug addict. She is a suburban mom who seems to have the perfect life. She goes to spin cycle. She has a powerful husband and two lovely kids, one of whom just got into Harvard. And Harvard. One of whom is a budding radicalist. So, uh, yeah. but... As we take a look, we see almost immediately her dream life isn't as perfect as it seems. Uh, Her son is depressed, which they never talk about, which is terrifyingly sad. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Her husband is never home anymore and is... Because he just got promoted. And she is addicted to pain pills. So... What is a story? What is a woman to do? What is a woman to do? Well, uh, nothing for a solid part of the first act. Mm Mm-hmm. She's kind of just pretending everything's fine, uh, going along with her addiction. And meanwhile, her daughter meets a boy and is slowly falling in love with someone who is not her girlfriend. Her son is depressed and wants to try to go to parties because that's going to fix things. Well, I don't think it's because he wants to fix things. I think it's finally that he got into Harvard. He has that. And now he has like a moment to kind of like breathe and relax. He can break for a sec. So now that he has that opportunity, he like he wants to go, he wants to party and have some time to just yeah. chill. 
And her husband is has all the makings of a cheating storyline. He does not cheat. He does not. He is. He's not a cheater. He, he loves her not. so much. He loves her so much. But like, listen, here's the thing is that when we first started watching the show, we were looking at all the tropes, right? And you have immediately, you have the overachiever son who probably doesn't actually want to go to Harvard. Yeah. The adopted rebellious younger daughter rebelling against her perfect life. She is bi. There is obvious mother-daughter tension. You can assume immediately that might be the center of the the show. Uh, You have the overworked husband kind of assume that because he's overworked, he's going to end up on her speaking of mj we have an intensely image conscious mother who is addicted to pain meds and will have to probably pick up the pieces of her life in act two after everything falls apart we kind of assumed that nick was going to be the one who either rebels kind of wants to go to art school instead or is so depressed suicide attempt that did not happen we kind of assumed that the mother-daughter tension was going to be one of the central themes of the show especially after they had that massive song together that was very interesting that they decided the the main story that we get is between her and her husband like i i kind of loved that it's fantastic it's set up poorly um, and we kind of were immediately like looking at, okay, are they, are we going to play it straight? Are we going to subvert it somehow? Here's the problem in story development and plot development, which is that they, they fall into the trap that most things end up falling into, which is you want to subvert something so you don't set it up properly. Set up to awful payoff. Right. So if they had followed through with the tropes, I'm not going to say that that would have been good. There were a lot of tropes and it, and it, yeah, there's a lot of tropes, but when in act two, all of a sudden the show was so strongly about her and her husband and mm-hmm. you don't see all of that mm. in the beginning of the first act. What you see mostly is the mother daughter tension, right? You see the hints of Nick being depressed. You don't see, you see some of the tension, mm-hmm. but it's not focused on nearly enough for them to then in act two make it the central focus of her storyline that that part in particular not set up very well the other writing error that we get into is uh phoenix but we'll get to well, that later yeah oh oh we'll get, <laughs> we'll into, get into phoenix um okay uh so so we touched on the a story and the b the a plot and the b plot um can we get to the c plot that should have been the a plot please can we Let's talk about it. So the C plot, there's a girl, a girl in Nick's age named Bella Fox, who goes to a party and gets raped. The C plot is mostly about Frankie trying to stand by her, help her and support her. And also finding out that her brother was unwittingly witness, witness to it and trying to get him to help her case by coming clean about what happened that night. Uh, that is the C plot. Uh, sexual assault is the C plot and used as set dressing for spoiler alert, Mary Jane remembering her own sexual assault and with it. I mean, I like how they kind of connected the two characters, but it very much felt like an afterthought. Oh, it absolutely felt like an afterthought. The poetry of it, the the parallels, it was excellently done. Yeah. But the way that they showed it, they showed it rather, they showed it beautifully. They did not set it up properly. They used Bella's Bella's sexual assault is going to be one of the most traumatic events in her life. Hopefully the most traumatic event in her life. It is something formative and incredibly, incredibly harmful. 
and it's window dressing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel that. It's used as a method to help Mary Jane come to terms with everything, as opposed to, this is how we see that they kind of picked a central character. They picked Mary Jane, yeah. and she's going to be our leader. And even though she does not get the most uh, stage time, I think that actually might be Frankie. Yeah, Frankie does have a lot. Everything always comes back to Mary Jane, to the point where the other storylines kind of don't matter. They only matter in how they affect Mary Jane. The only the only exception to that is Frankie's storyline. Right. Primarily Frankie's storyline with Joe, which deserves its own special mention because Lauren Patton. Joe is so good. Oh my God. Lauren Patton was amazing. Oh so good. So great. Love her. There is no one in that show who does better. <laughs> and, and, and that show has some standout acting. Yeah, it really does. There, there are a couple of things that I want to talk about if we're talking about oh Joe currently. Yeah. So the two main things that I want to talk about is obviously Lauren Patton's version versus Ezra's. Ezra. That's one thing that we will get to in a second. That's a whole conversation. The second thing I want to talk about just very quickly is why in musicals do they give the show-stopping number yeah. to the jilted best friend? Like, I don't get it. It's happened in several musicals. Yeah, it's so Liam, like, they give, like, Michael in the bathroom. Michael in the bathroom. What's it called? Uh, from uh, the Mean Girls. Yeah. What's her face's? Oh, yeah, I'd rather be me. I'd rather be me. Like, the show-stopping numbers are given to the to the best friend who just got, best friend like, hurt. Yeah. I love it so much. But it's just, it's just a, an observation that I had. Yeah. That I had to. As opposed to, like, in Rent, where like what you own is exactly. Mark and Roger, where like they're the the main in in modern in more modern what's it called? It's given to the comic relief or the the quirky best quirky friend. best friend or whatever it is. Yeah, usually the same. So that third, if we're talking about that, what's it called? Phoenix. I'm a sucker for dumbasses. Yeah, so and that is all he is. Yeah, he's so pure. He's so pure and dumb, and I love him, but. Lauren versus Ezra. Oh, girl. Ricky, what are your thoughts? Okay. Well, they're very different performances. Absolutely. I think vocally, I think Lauren's a little stronger. But I think Ezra, the way they give that performance, first of all, like, kudos for, like, a non-binary actor being able to work in a Broadway musical. Like, yes, oh, my God. Amazingness. But their their performance has so much emotion that I, I you guys okay oh I feel the shade from both of those looks so I I disagree and I believe Alyssa agrees with me really that I felt so much emotion from them okay. So let me tell you first what I did because my brain is weird. So first of all, the day of when I have to talk about something, I dive into it and look up as much about it as possible. And I also just like compare things overall. And what I noticed, I watched the original with uh, Lauren Patton. And then I I watched the specific scenes with Ezra. And when you're watching uh, Lauren Patton, you watch Joe from this, you know, happy-go-lucky, hands-in-my-pocket kind of girl. And you watch slowly throughout her life kind of not doing so hot. You can watch in every scene, as soon as she is on stage, you can see the the weight of of everything that is going on in her life on her face. The amount of repressed rage, you can feel it. Yeah. You see it on her face and you feel it. And it keeps building and building and building and building. And then uh, you ought to know is her at the breaking point. There is no actual choreography of that song. It is all blocking because in real life, she would be saying the exact same things 
just saying them instead of singing them. Yeah. It is her explosion of feelings and emotions that I think is incredibly done. And when she's like staring at her own hands, you know, trying like looking like she's tearing at herself, it feels like she doesn't want to be her at that moment because like her life is so shitty at them. You can feel the, the passion and emotion. With Ezra, fantastic performer. They're great. I didn't feel like they carried the weight of the show. Okay, I, I see that. There was there was very little behind the eyes. Oh. I felt like every scene they came on, they put on a a frustrated face. One of the things that I look for a lot and one of the things that I tend to notice was after you're done yeah. with a sentence, what are you doing? Yes, the act of listening. There was very little carryover from the beginning of the performance. And with Lauren Patton, every single second, you could see it simmering that she's on. She was on, she knew exactly what was going on, and she knew how to how to bring it out. Yeah. With Ezra, I'm not taking anything away from So Okay, so basically, like, what you're saying is that, like, they had, like, a Broadway-worthy performance. They were able to get cast in a Broadway show, but it wasn't your favorite. But there's a reason they were the understudy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did enjoy Lauren's better. Lauren, first of all, just sounds like Alanis Morissette. Lauren, okay, Lauren's voice. Can we talk about Lauren's voice and how phenomenal? The example that I gave about the watching the rage in Lauren Patton versus Ezra is her walking in on phoenix and frankie and frankie fucking putting it lightly i see i'm just i'm i'm putting it all out there spoiler alert the the scene afterwards where it's mostly joe telling frankie's parents about phoenix with ezra you can see that it starts out as just like oh yeah by the way and then it starts like getting like infuriating for them okay with lauren you see the rage that she has built throughout this entire thing it comes out a little bit as she continues to to say things because because she can't stop herself because it's gotten to that point when she says don't call me joanne i'm not a fucking fabric store oh my god greatest okay so i figured out why the show was as quippy as it was why was it as quippy as it was ellie in my dive today i found out that a writer of the book for jagged little pill is diablo cody who did you know that's fun juno and other things amongst many other things but (laughs) and diablo so diablo cody understands how to do angsty teens funny angsty teens and like dumb one-off quips and that's why lines like legally bland yeah legally bland and like and the entire teacher oh my god she's such a mood for the second that teacher walked in i felt it in my bones okay cool uh the music and the song okay first of all like shout out to tom kitt who he does he did orchestrations on a bunch of different like jukebox shows like i love his orchestration that he did for american idiot i, I believe he also did spongebob SpongeBob's not a jukebox. it's a half jukebox me and my little brother discussed this it is technically part jukebox because some of those songs are like actual songs from the artist and they just put it into the music that's it again different topic spongebob is another day i love how amazing tom Tom Kit is at taking rock songs that everyone knows and totally reworking them for a theater setting. Excellently done. Oh my God. So wonderful. I love it. Say, I have to say, uh, when it comes to music, the only other jukebox musical I can think of that comes close to being as good as this one was, and, and Jagged Little Pill was not perfect. I had a lot of issues with it. But jukebox musicals in general tend to have a, let's say a pattern and a tendency to not be as well done 
mainly because you run into problems when you're trying to create a story out of music that's already been set. It's the problem that Mamma Mia runs into. And listen, I love Mamma Mia to death. I don't. Um, I know you don't. I'm so shady. <laughs> Mamma Mia is one of those things that you can't analyze because the second you do, it'll ruin what is honestly just pure joy. I'm going to disagree with you because that being said, you have the opinion of most theater reviewers that jukebox musicals are basically taking musicals and forcing a story into these songs that have nothing to do with anything. It's so stupid, but that's what makes it great. But I'm going to disagree with you. It happens. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's always. Jagged Little Pill did it well because the songs fit together. Yeah. And the only other musical that I saw, the jukebox musical that I've experienced that I think doesn't nearly as well is American Idiot. But it's a rock opera. It's had that storyline. So with things like American Idiot, which I remember when that came out and I was watching interviews with Billy Joe Armstrong, my love. <laughs> but he was saying, and I'm sure Alanis Morissette was the same way when she wrote Jack a Little Pill. When you're putting out an album, you kind of in your mind do have a story that strings them together. Or like a connection for them all. It happens a lot more recently. You get concept albums. So when it comes to Jagged Little Pill and when it comes to American Idiot, they are very much concept albums. That's what they were intended to be. Mm-hmm. And so many critics hated American Idiot. I don't even, I don't, know, I don't remember how long the run was for American Idiot, but so many people hated American Idiot. Listen, I saw it. I was too young to see it. I was, oh my God, I was too young to see it too. They were shooting up heroin and having lots of sexual stuff on stage. I must have been 12 or 13 when it came out. It came out 2010. And uh, 2010, oh, so I was 13. And let me tell you, my mother, my mother took me and my siblings to go see it. And I'm the oldest. My little eight-year-old brother was sitting there watching it. Like, Oy. he's entirely puzzled can I say I went to see Rock of Ages with my mom and we got like second row seats in the orchestra and we're just I forget how old I was at the time but we're just like staring up at strippers and my mom's like I'm so glad I didn't bring your brother here (laughs) (laughs) I mean I remember when I was a kid I was like singing internet is for porn and that was like what 2003 how old was I I was a child wait on on the point of jukebox musicals I thoroughly enjoyed Head Over Heels I love that show so much that show died too soon and it was and it's a jukebox musical i don't think that was the concept they had in mind okay that was also very much like they they made up a show and they were like we're just gonna squeeze these songs to fit it was a good fun show the story like the story was great is it is that gonna be like a legendary best musical of all time i don't absolutely not absolutely not but i fucking loved it enjoyable as hell okay back to jack and little pill right so back to jack and little pill back to our deep dive back a little bit um let's take a second to talk because we've talked about music we've talked about joe we've talked about the main storyline um let's talk about phoenix which is while a breath of fresh air as a character and lovely and amazing not the best written he was so underwritten that he's technically an ensemble member so he's not nominated for anything because he's ensemble. even though he has like two songs that he's like a lead person in the song here's the thing is that if you look at his storyline from start to finish he doesn't have his own there was no character progression there was when we say that he didn't do anything he fell in love with the girl he started liking a girl a lot had sex her found out that she was dating another woman and went oh let me bounce and that's it and now they're friends and nothing changed yeah (laughs) and we get hints at his storyline and his troubles at home and they don't do anything with it he is the ultimate example of a many of a manic pixie dream guy yeah i like many manic pixie dream guys and then he kind of comes in and comes out he's plot he's not a character he's a plot line yeah which is i think another one of the major failings of the show you should not name characters 
than you can. It was so under. It was that. We just talk about the after sex scene for a second. That was just so entertaining. Some of the greatest, dumbest things from Phoenix. <laughs> So uh, again, I watched Ezra's version. It, there's a closer up on Phoenix's face, and it's Phoenix trying to get Frankie into the conversation because he doesn't know. He just knows that there's this pretty girl in his class, and like he really likes her. Well, here's the thing: is that he doesn't think anything is wrong. He doesn't know that there's, big- and that's why he does what he does. It doesn't in the Lauren version. It is not close enough to see what he's doing. So all of the sudden, he's like, "Oh yeah, we dissected. Yeah, there were five hearts, and they were all still beating." To Frankie, as though nothing was wrong in the world, <laughs> and I'm just like. You lovable idiot. Yeah. That line of of just like not realizing the tension in the room. In at least Lauren's version, it's so (laughs) And then the next scene, which is the sad scene where she's yelling at her parents. The very beginning where the the very beginning of the scene where it's like, you had a guy in here, whatever. And then he's like, he's right there. And we see, we see Phoenix in like just underwear walking through the front audience. They're just like following him. It's so good. The staging is, is, is very well done. So good. But also very poorly done. Can we, can we talk for a second about the blocking? I love how you're like, it's so well done, but so poorly done. Um. No, I want to talk specifically about the blocking at the end of Act 1 and the beginning of Act 2. Yeah, no, the blocking is... Yeah. When we see everyone on stage together and things are not evenly spaced at all. Mm. What's most interesting, this is this is also another reason why Frankie and her mother's storyline not being explored that much in, in Act 2 really bugs me, is because at the end of Act 1, we see everyone has like their kind of their own spot on the stage. They're split very evenly into three. There's Steve all the way on one side, Mary Jane in the middle, and Nick all the way on the other side. But Frankie's in the middle next to her mother looking at her. Mm. And when Frankie is the only other character who has such a major central storyline, the fact that she doesn't get her own spotlight is a very weird choice. Yeah. And you see that consistently. Frankie tends to be sharing stage with someone else. And they could have just split it up a little bit more evenly into four. It might have been partially my vantage point, but it can't entirely be my vantage point. There was that scene with Frankie next to Mary Jane was not my vantage point. That was intentional. Yeah. And I'm wondering why they set it up as Frankie and Mary Jane together, their storylines intertwined, when in reality, Frankie's frustration is stemming from her mother and the beginnings of her inner turmoil come from the way she was raised and we know that. But her major storyline It surrounds her relationship with Bella. It surrounds her relationship with Joe. And so when we're going so far into her relationship with her mother in Act 1, only for the entire thing to be dropped, we don't get proper closure on her storyline. Yeah. She has a whole scene where she's yelling at her parents. You do not understand what it is like to be Black in this neighborhood. Yeah. And they never resolve that. That's why I always hated that thing where someone runs away or does something drastic and then someone else does something even more drastic. Just to kind of take away their thunder. And they come running back like, oh, it's my fault. And then they kind of completely forget every reason why they were upset. Frankie's never going to forget it. Frankie's not going to all of a sudden one day in three hours because her mother tried to commit suicide. She's not all of a sudden going to wake up and be like, oh, all of my issues with being black in this neighborhood are gone. And the only closure we get from that is Frankie and her mother in the last scene 
her mother telling her, we just wanted you to feel normal. And Frankie kind of just forgiving her. And it's like, no, 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 no. They don't know what it's like and they're never addressing it. And, and, and her mother tries so very hard. I'm not taking things away from Mary Jane, although I should be taking things away from Mary Jane because let's be honest here, I did not like her as a character. Yeah. I mean, I like the thing. I don't know. Is she supposed to be a likable character or more of like an anti-hero? Oh, she's very much an anti-hero. Yeah. Ellie, yeah. you said that uh, they're the antagonists in the story. And by definition, they're not they're the protagonists. Frankie and Mary Jane have to be the protagonists because the story centers around them. They are the villain they are the villain in the story they're the ones who destroy everything it's not even anti-heroism at this point because anti-heroism implies that they are still heroic characters and despite frankie trying very very hard to be a good person she ends up screwing up where it matters the most which is interpersonal relationship and despite mary jane mary jane's not even trying all she is trying to do is, like, she's not even trying to be a good person. She's trying to be a good mother. Or not, she's trying to look like she's being a good mother. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I was absolutely... Yeah. Not even... She's trying to look like the other mother. Like, that was the whole thing at the beginning in the in the Starbucks, was that all of the mothers in this town are exactly the fucking same. Yeah. Right. And, and like, she is trying so hard to hold on to that similarity. And that's why at the end, when she sends the, the last letter where it is calling everyone on their bullshit, it's so needed in that moment. So the point of that being that she's not a heroic character. It's not that she does bad things in heroic ways or that she does good things in bad ways. Yeah. She's just, she's not a hero. That's the main point of this is that there's no, even though there's a protagonist, first of all, the only antagonist is themselves. The only ones who are kind of opposing their own forces are themselves. There are no heroes. There are no villains. Well, wait, I don't think that was with all the characters that it's just them getting in their own way. Not all of them. With Mary J, MJ, whatever. With her, like, okay, she has an opiate addiction, but that isn't necessarily like oh well she could just stop no she she goes to rehab yeah so she went to rehab and that helped but still it's like a lifelong that's like a whole like she 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 goes to rehab she goes to therapy and she's she, they say flat out at the end nothing's fixed but we're trying which is what frustrates me so much about frankie's storyline and ending the way it does let's get to this steve is the greatest person in the entire show he better get a fucking tony award is the MVP. His performance was so excellent. I felt every word that you just could see how much he cared for her and how much he just wanted to work. And he was hilarious when he needed to be. He was serious when he needed to be. He gave such a stellar performance. But What's the Matter, Mary Jane was Chef's Kick's beautiful performance. The only reason that man should not win the Tony is if Derek Lino wins it because you can see all the tiny little choices that he makes as Nick. He also was very good. He was good but I think Sean was better. No, I I hope Sean wins it. Which is why it's such a shame that we don't actually get into Nick's depression because it's, it's hinted at so much, but he acts it so well. I'm also going to add another point. I mean, if they really wanted to, they could get into all these different storylines, but like how long can this musical be? Fair, but they could have spent a lot less time on Frankie. It's okay, true. that being said, as much as we're like shitting on Frankie, like she did a great job too. I love she did phenomenal. So great. Also, like, fun fact, she's uh, LaShawn's daughter. Do y'all know that? I know. Love, I love, like, generational Broadway people just making more Broadway people. Bella Fox is that. Catherine Gallagher. Uh, Catherine Gallagher. It's the daughter of Peter Gallagher. Oh, yeah, she's Peter Gallagher's daughter. I found that out today. 
Awakening. I love her in Spring Awakening. She did such a It's so good. After like the rape happens and Frankie comes to her and she's sitting on the couch. And she's telling the story. And she's telling the story. Oh my God. First of all, like putting an actor through having to be that character. I genuinely don't know who I want to win the Tony more. I don't know if I want it to be Lauren Patton or Catherine Gallagher because it's probably going to go to Lauren Patton. I'm not upset about it. I'm not upset about it. Because Lauren Patton is... is Knowing how the Tonys usually go, it's probably going to go to Lauren Patton. Phenomenal. But but Catherine Gallagher deserves it as well. Fantastic. Okay, I want to really quickly just go through the list of thoughts. I know I'm going to go through the ones that we didn't touch on that I just want to mention. First of all, the diversity within the ensemble. Yes. The fact that there was a member of the ensemble who was actively dancing just as much as everyone else who was visibly overweight is it it is so important so 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 important i'm obsessed with her so within within size and also within race yeah it was very ethnically diverse and that was also very important because if you see shows like chicago it's a very dance heavy very particular dance you look at those they're all skinny white bitches we can see that frankie is gay because in the first scene (laughs) Where she's meant to be sitting, not the first scene, the family breakfast. She can't sit on a chair properly. And oh, yeah. So you can instantly tell she's a bisexual. I know that was probably done on purpose so that she could then jump up and do the whole dance number. But also, that's how we know she's gay. (laughs) The meme of it all. The dancing, the choreography was done very, very well. For this show, she had a very particular style for the movements of everyone that it wasn't just like, I know, it was very modern. Yes, it was, it was, it was, it was excellent. Yeah. I want, call it, I want to mention Keep On Smiling because the choreography in that, the backwards move, backwards jump rope, everything, it was done incredibly well. Um, although she sounds really weird and the song in and of itself is boring, the staging is done excellently. The choreography is excellent. And the mirrors at the end when she's staring at herself in the mirror, very, very powerful. It's foreshadowing not recognizing herself in act two. I want to call out also for a minute Predator. Yeah. As one of the most... Predator and Uninvited Uh. are probably two of the most beautiful, powerful... Yeah. You ought to know as a showstopper, right? Yes. Predator and Uninvited are, holy cow, the amount of power, first of all, in the choreography. Yes, very much so. Again, the certain style of the choreography is so specific and it's so, like, it does the job of what choreography is supposed to do. It helps tell the story perfectly. Like, you can feel... It works very 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 well it helps further the plot and helps the audience understand what is going on on such a deeper level i i have to say like the entire time by the way i'm watching this i don't care for mj i don't care for her i said it already that number made me want to yeah but as it stands in the show the fact that they got people that looked so similar the character it's done very well showing the parallel between mary jane and bella fox through that one dancer heather lang i think is her name i looked up all of the ensemble's names like i said i i, I go into a weird amount of detail uh, i think her name was heather lang it was it was john incredibly and I think that's about all the time we have for this week. When Broadway comes back, you can catch Jagged Little Pill at the Broadhurst Theater. And again, please go buy tickets. It's such a wonderful show, and we absolutely loved it. And thank you so much for listening. This has been the Theater Queens Podcast. You could follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, and YouTube at Theater Queens Podcast and Theater underscore Queens on Twitter. <laughs>